Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Adam Wheeler and Michael Cunningham. Hello. Hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So today on the Books and Bites podcast, we are talking about number seven on the Books and Bites challenge. And um, that is to read a book of short stories or a collection of essays or an anthology. And we thought this would be a good thing to talk about in the summer because sometimes people are short on time and it's a little bit easier to read a short story or an essay, um, read one of those at a time. Um, Do you guys like to read? short stories and essay collections in general? Yeah, for sure. They're easy to pick up and put down. Um, (laughs) They make good bathroom reads too. (laughs) Yeah, I I love short stories and anthologies. Um, When I first started reading, I read, uh, that really got me into horror was the uh, Night Shift by Stephen King. And, uh, And some of those, you know, authors that, are really good at writing short stories you know they they really really excel at it and uh, anthologies i feel like are a really good way to um, kind of get a taste for authors and their writing styles and even the discover new authors too mm-hmm. yeah good point So my first book is The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Ross Gay is a Black poet who decided on his 42nd birthday to embark on a year-long project to write a short essay every day about something he finds delightful. The result is The Book of Delights, a collection of 102 essays he admits to skipping some days that range in length from a few paragraphs to five pages. In the book's preface, Gay notes that in writing these essays, he finds his life, quote, to be more full of delight, not without sorrow or fear or pain or loss, but more full of delight, unquote. In reading and listening to these funny, lyrical, and insightful essays, I found my own life to be more full of delight, even though many of the pleasures Gay writes about aren't possible in the middle of a pandemic. For example, the essays frequently take place in airports or other public spaces, and he delights in the wanted physical touch of strangers. Often he delights in his garden or in food. In one of my favorite essays, Kombucha in a Mid-Century Glass, he describes the joy of drinking a small glass of homemade kombucha. While Gay can't help questioning his, quote, growing affinity for some of the aesthetics of that era, the 50s, the not-so-good old days, unquote, he delights in the size of the glass, quote, small enough to both encourage moderation and highlight the pleasure of the refill, a pleasure it is important to note that has an inverse relationship to the size of the vessel, unquote. Gay doesn't turn away from the hard topics, such as racism, consumerism, and the destruction of the environment, though in some of the essays, he has to dig a little deeper to find the delight. 
In Still Processing, he writes, quote, I have no illusions by which I mean to tell you it is a fact that one of the objectives of popular culture, popular media, is to make blackness appear to be inextricable from suffering and suffering from blackness, which is clever as hell if your goal is obscuring the efforts, the systems, historical and ongoing, to ruin black people, unquote. In this essay, the delight is that, quote, you've been reading a book of delights written by a black person, a book of black delight, daily as air, unquote. Gay reads the audiobook himself, and I highly recommend that format. When listening to short stories and essays, I sometimes find it hard to tell when they begin and end. Gay provides plenty of verbal cues. He sounds like a friend telling you a story. Yes, this world is awful, he seems to say, but if you pay attention, you can still find joy in it too. Like Gay, I prefer to drink kombucha in a six ounce or less glass. Mine is store-bought though. My favorite flavor is hibiscus ginger, which has the additional delight of being bright pink. If you'd like to try making your own kombucha to pair with the Book of Delights, we have several books that can help, including The Big Book of Kombucha, Brewing, Flavoring, and Enjoying the Health Benefits of Fermented Tea. And I have to say, I did look at that book, and there is no way in heck that I would <laughs> may try to make my own homemade kombucha. Oh, God, no. I looked into it recently, too. It's so much work. I don't even know where you get the starter for it at. Like, I'm afraid yeah. I would make some kind of horribly toxic penicillin. <laughs> and that's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> it looks like this yeah. science project that could go terribly wrong. Yeah. It's like ookie disc yeah. floating on top. <laughs> we um, There used to be a, a local brewer and I really liked their kombucha, but there would be like a little piece of mother in the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> Um, and you had to be really careful about not taking that last swallow yeah, <laughs> you uh, get this snot swallow. There's something really gross to think about is that my understanding is the micro whatever that's sitting at the top consumes the sugar and then pushes something back out into the <laughs> beverage. So you're kind of just eating, you're, you're drinking like a waste you're drinking some, some <laughs> solid or liquid waste there yeah but it's delicious yeah we're not really selling the kombucha here are we <laughs> i remember the first time i tried it i didn't know what it was and i got the strawberry one. I was like oh this is gonna be sweet, gonna be like sweet juice. Yeah. Oh. heart delicious fart water it's <laughs> It is definitely funky, and <laughs> if you're not used to that sort of funky, sour, fermented flavor, you probably won't like it, but yeah. um, if you if you like a little sour, um, I, I definitely give it a try. From experience, I can also say, and you're welcome to cut this out, uh, uh, <laughs> if you're drinking it for the first time or just you've been drinking it for a while and it's awesome... Um, don't do it around a time when you're also wearing a mask because you will get kombucha burps and <laughs> it will be trapped in your mask and it's gross. That's a good uh, tip. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> My first choice is a graphic novel called Dark Crystal, uh, colon, Creation Myths, Volume 1. Uh, I might be bending the theme just a tad, but I think it still works. The stories in this volume are from serialized comics that recount the genesis of Thra, a fantastical world first seen in the Dark Crystal, a 1982 film from the minds of Jim Henson, responsible for the Muppets and the Labyrinth, uh, and Brian Froud, who... You may know for his highly imaginative, illustrated uh, compendiums of fairies, trolls, and other folk creatures. Though Jim Henson himself passed in 1990, Jim Henson Studios has continued his work. And The Dark Crystal, still being created in conjunction with Brian Froud, has seen a resurgence in comics, books, and there's even an original Netflix series that expand on the original story. Uh, mainly following the Gelflings, which are small elf-like people uh, common across the fictional world of Thra. Basically, they're like people, the people equivalent. Um, <laughs> while there is a main story arc in Dark Crystal creation myths that follows the birth of Olgra, an immortal seer who serves as guardian of Thra, uh, you might remember her as the the sassy lady troll kind of figure from the movie um the arrival of strange godlike entities called urskex and the unearthing of the infamous crystal that serves as the beating heart of thra the volume also introduces new characters and gelfling myths including a tale about how female gelflings came to have wings i was so jealous about that when i watched that movie like why can't everyone have wings <laughs> but <laughs> That's not that's not the point at all. Um, <laughs> assumptions of how Gelflings came to populate all the biomes of Thra, and a heroic story of one Gelfling equalizing power by toppling a tyrant and hiding his source of power that was used for subjugation. This volume does an amazing job of fleshing out an existing fantasy world, and the mythic approach provides some answers to the many questions viewers of the 1982 film may have had but it does so in a way that forms stories into legends rather than a fact-based account. Uh, I, as a reader, had the sense of hearing legends passed down over centuries through campfire retellings that changed over time and probably have regional variations as the stories spread to different parts of the world and took on their own nuances. The progression of the myths also feels natural as they focused heavily on like Thra-centered themes of nature than uh, to a being born from that nature who interacted with the th with the tribes of Thra. Then came more celestial god figures for the ages of building civilization. And finally, there's an introduction of characters who focus on the Gelfling as the creators and sustainers of their own fate. Uh, so it sort of facilitates a spectrum of belief and civilization stemming in nature-centered tribalism, progressing through a more morally coded civilization and ending in a sort of Gelflingism that focuses on the individual. Uh, and characters ascribing to different parts of the spectrum continue to exist in the story with no obvious judgment on who's right or wrong. The short is that the Dark Crystal creation myths is a wonderful expansion to the folklore of Thra. That is an excellent choice for anyone who enjoys fantasy, sci-fi, 
uh, or readers who enjoy either character development or world building. It's really got a bit of everything. While I think the content is appropriate for all ages, readers under a middle school level may struggle with some of the words. The Dark Crystal Creation Myths, Volume 1, uh, is available <laughs> in hard copy at JCPL or as an ebook on Hoopla Digital. Read stories about the origins of life on Thra, the birth of Ogre, and the arrival of complex life forms while savoring a frozen kombucha berry pop. Uh, this popsicle, whose main ingredient is a fermented tea created with a live culture of yeast and select bacteria, is a wonderful, complex, sweet-sour accompaniment to the Dark Crystal's origin stories. The recipe can be found in For the Love of Popsicles by Sarah Bond, available on Hoopla Digital. <laughs> I think it's funny we keep having <laughs> these weird, like theme connections that aren't part of the main thing so like this time it's kombucha i can't remember what the previous ones were like the first time yeah. i did with dragons oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i know it is funny how that works out yeah. I, so i have some questions about these kombucha berry pops uh-huh what happens to the live cultures when you freeze them do you still get the probiotic benefits maybe i mean does bacteria die when it freezes? Does kombucha? I don't know. Well, maybe the culture isn't still in the kombucha. I don't. I would imagine you don't put the like snot stuff in the popsicles. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. We need to call a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any scientists listening, please tell us what happens to kombucha also i probably haven't seen the dark crystal since 1982 when i was a kid i've seen you know i remember like the original muppets movies and the labyrinth more than the dark crystal um i don't i don't even like i just looked at the poster for it and it it doesn't strike a memory at all i know i I saw it I would credit the musical numbers in the Muppets and uh, uh, the Labyrinth. There, there's none of that in the Dark Crystal. There's no fun mm-hmm. musical numbers. It doesn't have a lot of really good like uh, comedy either. And there's no David Bowie or glitter. Well, there's probably glitter right. actually. Um, but like- what I really loved about the Dark Crystal is they have all of these really really detailed landscapes that people put a lot of work into it's all handcrafted none of it is animated um if you watch the movie you'll notice new things every time new little creatures running around and living plants doing things it's i think it's really underappreciated and if you give it a a rewatch you might find some stuff you really like about it My first recommendation is Friday Black by Nana Kwame Adjebrenya. This collection of 12 dark stories takes an unflinching look at race, black identity, capitalism, and consumerism in America. The first story in the collection, The Finkelstein Five, is one of my favorites of the collection and probably the most prescient stories I've ever read. The story follows Emmanuel, a young man who is hyper aware of his blackness, which he raises and lowers with the clothes he wears, the way he talks, and who he is seen with in the midst of a recently handed down verdict of an all too familiar court case. 
It's supposed to be using satire, but unfortunately, too many elements of the story have been in the news recently, like the chain-wielding man chasing after protesters. The story, Zimmerland, shows a world where the pain and injustices that people of color suffer are exploited by capitalism and turned into an amusement park. The story is Friday Black in retail and how to sell a jacket is told by Ice King are all interconnected, taking place at the same retail store. If you've ever worked in retail, these stories will likely connect with you. Friday Black, another standout of the collection, uses black comedy to examine how capitalism has warped consumerism into a violent horror show on Black Friday. This quote from Friday Black hammers that idea home. This is the Black Weekend. Other times, if somebody dies, at least a cleanup crew comes with a tarp. Last year, the Friday Black took 129 people. Black Friday is a special case. We are still a hub of customer care and interpersonal cohesiveness, mall management said in a mall-wide memo, as if caring about people is something you can turn on and off. How to sell a jacket as told by Ice King and in retail continue the observation of how capitalism has ground down the working class, keeping them fighting with each other. The narrator of the story in retail says in order to be happy in a retail job, you have to dig happiness up. There are also a couple of science fiction stories. The era takes place in the near future in a class divided world where emotion is looked down upon as a weakness and people take a drug called good, um, allowing people well to feel good and suppress their emotions. Through the Flash takes place in the same world as the era. Uh, it follows a neighborhood that's stuck in a brutal and violent Groundhog's Day-like loop where they are forced to relive the last day before a nuclear blast over and over again. While these stories are dark and mostly dystopian, exposing the sinister underbelly of America, there are rays of hope and compassion here. I think Tommy Orange, author of There There, sums it up best in his take on his collection. In smart, terse prose, Ajibrinia is unflinching and willing in most of these 12 stories to leave us without any apparent hope. But the hope is there, or if it isn't hope, it may be something better. Level-headed, compassionate protagonists with just enough integrity and ambivalence that they never feel sentimental. Each of these individuals carry a subtle clarity about what matters most when nothing makes sense in these strange and brutal worlds he builds. In honor of Nana Kwame Ajibrinia's New York roots, I'm pairing this with Brooklyn Brewery's Stonewall Inn IPA, which is brewed in partnership with the Stonewall Inn Gives Back Initiative. This crisp, sessionable IPA is, is perfect for summer with refreshing citrus notes of lemon and grapefruit. If you're looking to enjoy it with food, it's excellent with tacos, sharp cheddar, and pretty much any spicy dishes. You can find it in Lexington at Total Wines and More, Good Foods Market, Liquor Barn, or Whole Foods. I do think it's fun. We've got books that kind of represent the full gamut of what people might be looking for when they're all stressed out by what's going on right now. Like... Like mine is mostly escapism because it's fantasy and, and Carrie, uh, yours is a, approaching uh, Black Lives from a more joyous point um, mm -hmm. to kind of balance out everything that we're hearing. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then Michael's <laughs> is it, it taps into how people when they're we're having really distressed times, people dive into horror a little bit more which mm -hmm. I have to admit, I've been doing, I've been watching a lot of horror movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. I just think it's fun. It's fun. There's something for everybody. Yeah. Going off of what Adam just said, I think my next pick, Drinking Coffee Elsewhere by ZZ Packer, 
um, is for the person who is looking into anti-racist reading lists and um, really focusing on that right now. Um, this is a short story collection. It was her debut short story collection and it was published in 2003 and was a 2004 finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award. Packer was raised in Louisville and Atlanta and some of the eight stories in this collection take place in those cities. Most of the stories are about black girls and young women coming of age in a racist world. Though Packer unflinchingly shows the effects of racism on her characters, the stories never feel didactic, perhaps because they are leavened with a generous dose of dark humor. In reading these stories, you step into the characters' lives in all their complexity. In the widely anthologized Brownies, a troop of African-American brownies is on a camping trip when one of them thinks she hears a white brownie from another troop use a racial slur. The girls decide to confront the other troop in the bathroom, only to realize that the white girls are what their troop leader calls, quote, delayed learners, unquote. In The Ant of the Self, the only story narrated by a male character, a high school debate star from Louisville drives his father, Ray Bivens Jr., to the Million Man March, where Ray hopes to sell a collection of exotic birds. And just that image of <laughs> these people, they have these huge cages of exotic birds going wow. through the Million Man March. Oh no! Hilarious. Oh. That is so cringy. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I believe they were pretty unsuccessful in trying to sell any of these <laughs> exotic birds. Um, Packer, Packer isn't afraid to let her characters get in trouble. In the story, Speaking in Tongues, 14-year-old Tia, a sheltered church girl who lives with her great aunt, travels by bus to Atlanta, where she hopes to reunite with her mother. With no money or place to stay, she ends up crashing with 32-year-old Desi, whom she suspects of being a pimp or drug dealer. In Geese, a young woman from Baltimore ends up destitute in Japan, again with no money or way to get home. The tension Packer builds into these stories kept me up at night. The final story, Doris is Coming, takes place in 1961. Main character Doris is another sheltered church girl who longs to be a part of the world where, quote, other Negro youths sneaked out of their homes and schoolrooms to sit stoically at the Woolworths while whites poured ketchup on them, unquote. Doris is the only African-American in her all-white classes at school. She forms an uneasy alliance with her white Jewish classmate, Livia Berman, whose parents employ Doris's mother as housekeeper. Doris finds Livia's self-righteousness almost as hard to take as her other classmates' overtly racist comments. As in the other stories in this collection, Packer admirably resists the pat, easy ending. In the title story, Dina, a student at Yale, realizes that pretending is the only way she can cope with her life. She remembers being given milk at her mother's funeral, to quote, settle her stomach, unquote, and imagining it was coffee. 
Quote, I imagined I was drinking coffee elsewhere, she says, some Arabic speaking country where the thick coffee served in little cups was so strong it could keep you awake for days, unquote. Transport yourself to another country with a strong cup of Turkish or Armenian coffee. We'll link to the recipes on our blog. That sounds wonderful. And I want heart palpitations from that coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, um, I've had it a few times. My husband is a big fan and he, um, there is a Armenian grocery store nearby that he goes to a lot and always always gets a cup when he's there hmm. I have to look for that. Uh, also it sounds like it's really good that, that book uh is in is in short stories because uh, that's some really awkward stuff going on <laughs> i would never be able to finish a full block story of all of that yeah, no, so I, was, awkward. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, um, especially like, you know, the stories that were keeping me up at night, at least they were only short stories, you know, <laughs> so I could stop at, at, at a point, but this is actually the second time I've um, read this collection. I read it a long time ago when it first came out, um, and I, I just think it's really good. She, ZZ Packer hasn't written anything or hasn't published anything since then. Um, so I hope that we hear more of her someday. My choices actually follow another theme and that they're both Jim Henson this month. Uh, So my second choice absolutely does stick more to the month's theme of short stories, anthologies, uh, the third thing. Um, And Jim Henson's The Storyteller, colon, Sirens, is an illustrated collection of four stories, each written and illustrated by a different creator. As you can probably tell from the title, the centralizing theme is Sirens, a term that may refer to various mythological figures represented in different cultures, usually a woman-animal hybrid that may or may not be credited with using uh, their hypnotic voices to lure sailors to a watery grave. Though if your first thought upon hearing a woman singing is I'm entitled to go capture or harass whoever that is, then maybe you had it coming. Um, (laughs) But uh, let me not get off topic. Uh, The stories all begin with an elderly man in a chair telling stories to his sarcastic talking dog. Uh, You might already be familiar with this if you've seen Jim Henson's The Storyteller, which was a family TV series that ran 1987 to 1989. Uh, I think it started in Britain and then made its way over here. It was in a few different countries. Uh, Then the storyteller begins recounting a regional legend about a siren. I'm going to do my best to summarize the book without rambling or giving spoilers. Um, Our first story written by Bartosz Stiebor. I really should have done my due diligence and looked up how to pronounce these Polish names before I did this. I'm sorry, I didn't. Um... Written by Bartosz and illustrated by Jacob Rebelka is a retelling of a classic Polish tale, The Mermaid and the Fisherman. This story does focus on a common perception of siren as a mermaid with the beautiful voice, referred to as Melazinia in Polish. Uh, we mainly follow 
an old fisherman, dissatisfied with life, who seeks thrills and adventure at the cost of his family's well-being. Uh, salty old man who's very unhappy. Uh, upon hearing the story's unnamed mermaid song, the fisherman becomes obsessed and focuses all his energy on hearing the song again. And that's all I'm going to give for that one. I don't want to give too much. <laughs> um, the second story, Empress Wa, written and illustrated by Chan Chao, tells the story of Nu Wa, a Chinese creation goddess who can take many forms. Always a hybrid of woman and snake. Um, being lonely in a world of plants and rocks, Nuwa forms animals from clay. Finding companionship still lacking, she models dolls after her own image. These are the first humans, capable of forming bonds and uh, communication that Nuwa feels deeper connection to. The first humans were imperfect, so Nuwa kept creating different types of humans, improving on previous methods, till she arrived at what we know as today's humans. This could be seen as a mythical retelling of the process of evolution or as a likening to the trial and error necessary in any creative process or even a similar story to the creation of life in the biblical Genesis. I don't know. It's fun to look at mythical correlations to me. Maybe not for everybody, though. <laughs> uh, I'll leave it up to y'all to dive into the last two tales on your own. The first is One Spared to the Sea, which focuses on the Selkies of Northern Europe. And the final uh, story is Lorelei, Daughter of the Rhine, a deliciously dark story set in Germany's Rhine Gorge. Jim Henson's The Storyteller, Sirens, is deeply engaging for its variety of writing styles, illustration, and region-specific folklore. Each story can serve well as both a lesson for respecting others and as an introduction to international cultures. Due to some of the darker themes, however, uh, especially in Lorelei, I'd recommend this book for readers in middle school through adulthood. Could be scary for for younger audience. Uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller Sirens is available on Hoopla Digital, and it's available as the full volume of four stories. Or if you just want one or two of them, you can also borrow the single issue. I would say you can complement the varied flavors of regional folklore in Jim Henson's The Storyteller, Sirens, with a bubbly, savory, sweet cucumber mint cooler. The recipe can be found in Homemade Soda by Andrew Schloss, available on Kentucky Libraries Unbound. That sounds really good. Yeah. Sounds very refreshing. It does. And I was trying to find something that was sort of like bitter and salty as the sea before. And I settled on like a cucumber celery tonic. And I'm like, no one's going to want to drink that. <laughs> it's like a medical drink. I got to be. Yeah. You already got kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like this deep dive into Jim Henson this week. Yeah, yeah. dive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> splish flapping around in some puns. I love it. That was that was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> you got caught up in the currents of the wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> My second recommendation is We Live Inside Your Eyes by Keelan Patrick Burke. Burke uses his collection to experiment a little, branching out of his comfort zone. 
In addition to short stories, he includes a poem, a novella, and a dialogue-only story. Some were published previously in anthologies, but the last half of the collection is brand new. It's also interesting to note these stories exist within another story. The opening story slash prologue follows an unnamed boy that lives in a moldering world where it constantly rains. People are also slowly decaying and can no longer go outside. One day he spies a next-door neighbor girl leaving her house, running towards a decaying and overgrown parking garage. He follows her and finds an effigy of a woman lashed to a pillar with a mask that appears to be the skull of a ram. She is surrounded by a circle of candles, and at her feet are notebooks that contain the stories within this collection. The first tale, The Lane of Sunshine, tells the story of a man looking for something missing in his life as he traverses a nightmarish phantasmagoric landscape. The mannequin challenge, a particularly creepy story, uses the craze that became popular in 2016, where people pretended to be frozen while a camera pinned around them to show the dark side of office politics. Gawarely After Dark, maybe the scariest of the collection, takes place during the bombing of London during World War II, where a family must take shelter in their small, cramped basement. Down here with us is a fantasy story that follows a once-powerful dwarf clan that sets out into a world full of the walking dead to find their lost kin. A Wicked Thirst is a terrifying tale that follows a man trying to reckon with his alcoholism, and You Have Nothing to Fear from Me is a heartbreaking story about a woman trying to reckon with her past abusive relationships. The novella, The Enza Collection, The House on Abigail Lane, is possibly the best haunted house story in recent memory. The story reads as a history of a house that was built in the 1950s where people continuously disappear on the second floor. It uses the fascination people have always had of haunted houses to tell a really unique story the contextual lens of U.S. history and pop culture. All these stories can almost be read as desperate confessions of guilt. By branching out of his comfort zone and experimenting with his writing style and genres, he's able to show off his considerable talent as a writer in this collection that sports complex themes like addiction, abuse, and identity. So in honor of Keelan Patrick Burke's Irish heritage, I'm pairing this with a traditional Irish dish of Cochannon, a cabbage and potato dish. It calls for a head of cabbage, potatoes, peeled and quartered, milk, green onions, and crumbled bacon. We made this last week using a recipe from delish.com to go along with a pot roast we made. We both really enjoyed it, and it was pretty easy to make. There weren't any leftovers. <laughs> always a good sign. That's always a mark of a, uh, of a good dinner. Mm-hmm. Zombies and cabbage. <laughs> Sounds like you would need something comforting after reading that one. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, a nice warm cornbread hug. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> we could all use that hug right now. <laughs> but only from someone you're living in a house with, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I saw a video uh, recently of two people who really wanted to hug, but they had been social distancing the whole time. Like, oh my God, we can't just do it. So they each got in big inflatable T-Rex costumes and hugged each other inside the costumes. It was cute. Yeah. <laughs> so there we have another use for our T-Rex costume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hugs. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To find out more about the podcast, the Books and Bites challenge, or the Books and Bites discussion group, visit our website at chesspublib.org slash books hyphen bites. 
our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.